0: hello welcome back to episode number 31 of the podcast today i'm joined by lara adler and she is the environmental toxins nerd on instagram lara adler is an environmental toxins expert and educator and a certified holistic health coach who teaches health coaches nutritionists and other health practitioners how to eliminate the number one thing holding their clients back from the results they are seeking the unaddressed link between chemicals and chronic health problems She trains practitioners to become experts in their everyday toxic exposures so that they can improve client outcomes without spending hundreds of hours researching on their own. Combining environmental health education and business consulting, she's helped thousands of health professionals in over 25 countries around the world elevate their skill set, get better results for their clients and become sought out leaders in the growing environmental health and detoxification field. In this episode we discuss the role of environmental toxins, hormone disrupting chemicals on our health, particularly our hormones and we start off by addressing the difference between a toxin, a chemical and an endos- endocrine disrupting chemical because I know that these terms are thrown around these days especially online but not a lot of people actually know what they are what the differences are and lara really gives some insight into what we should really be addressing these things as where we can find them the the potential downsides and negative effects of them in our exposure I asked her to clear up some myths about detoxification and the safety of some some chemicals and just as a heads up a lot of them have not been tested for safety despite what we're told plus they also don't take into consideration the chronic long-term grade exposure to some of these things and how they all kind of work synergistically and cause a lot of problems when we're exposed to them in our bodies it's completely different to being tested in a test tube or in a lab if it's even done at all so, we clear up some of those things, and I also asked Lara to kind of walk us through our home environment and where we could be potentially exposing ourselves to some of these toxins. So, we start off in the kitchen and then in the bathroom, the bedroom and I love Laura's approach to this subject because she knows a lot of stuff and I definitely learn a lot from her and on her blog post and Instagram as well but for people like me it's easy to get overwhelmed with some of these things especially working in this field you read all of these research papers and hear about all of these negative effects of chemicals in our environment and it can be difficult to kind of be relaxed and let go of control over these things so if you're someone like me who, can get, who gets freaked out on this subject then Laura really simplifies things and puts us at ease during this episode. She talks about the importance of doing the best that you can, making simple swaps and not letting these things stress you out because stress is just to- as toxic as some of these chemicals. So I love that about Laura, and I think you're going to get a lot from this episode and again, it's not going to make you feel overwhelmed and anxious and freaked out by the end of it. Um, Laura did a really good job at putting us all at ease and giving us some really practical changes to get started with that hopefully won't cost a lot of money and won't be a radical change to our lifestyles. As I mentioned at the start, you can find Lara online on Instagram at the Environmental Toxins Nerd. So I hope you enjoy this episode and definitely head over to Instagram because she shares a lot of insight and you're going to love the information that she provides. Hi Lara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat all about environmental toxins with you. You're the perfect person to have on um, because we haven't yet covered this subject on the podcast. So I want to start off by asking you how you got into this field of expertise. What made you choose environmental toxins in particular?
1: Um, it sort of happened um, on accident. Uh, so I, you know, was always interested personally in health and nutrition just for my own. Um, You know, my own interest, it wasn't ever anything that I considered professionally uh, to step into this sort of conversation about wellness. Um, And, you know, I'd spent eight, almost eight years in a whole unrelated career doing something totally different that was very boring. And I sat in a cubicle and I did sales and I didn't like it. And I, you know, kind of got tapped on the shoulder by a number of people in my life during a really short period of time, like in succession, telling me like, hey, you should look at this, you know, at health coaching, because here's an opportunity to take this sort of um, nerdy love that I have for wellness and nutrition and good food and do something professionally with it. So I thought, you know, I'll give that a shot. Um, And I did. I uh, got certified as a health coach. I started seeing clients. And most of my uh, clients were coming to me for weight loss. And some of them, they did all the things, they had results. Some of them did all the things and they had no results. So I started kind of scratching my head going, "What, what am I missing in this conversation? And it was really that I sort of opened the door into this world of environmental chemicals. Now, at the same time, my sister-in-law was pregnant with my niece. She's now ten and a half. So that's my gauge for how long I've had this conversation. And I was, you know, horrified at what I was reading as I was exploring the products that my sister-in-law was going to be buying and, you know, the the types of products that she would need to be buying, um, uh, horrified by the kinds of chemicals that were found in them. And I kind of took stock of the education that I'd had up until that point, both self-taught with all the dozens of books on health and wellness and nutrition that I'd read and also in my Health coaching program, and like toxins were not discussed in any of this this conversation, and that really struck me as being a huge mistake, a huge oversight. Uh, because what I was reading and what the literature, research literature, was suggesting is that these low levels of exposures to chemicals day in day out do in fact contribute to just about every chronic illness that people are experiencing. And so I was just so fascinated by this topic that I said, you know, I want to do this. I want this to be my job to be able to talk about this. So Mm -hmm. that was in 2010 that I kind of made that declaration. And in 2012 I started teaching and it's really been nonstop ever since. And it's been really exciting to see the conversation blossom in the sort of greater public awareness. Amazing.
0: And I just feel like you're never going to run out of things to say because there's always new chemicals in the environment. There's always new research coming out and being linked to different conditions. So we're going to be talking all about different terms. So could you just clarify what we mean by a toxin? Um yes. by a chemical and
1: yes. endocrine disrupting chemicals, because I'm yes. sure these are going to come up multiple times. Yes, so everything is a chemical. I hate it when people are like chemicals are bad because like literally everything is a chemical. It's a really stupid way of saying it. Um, we are made of chemicals. So when I talk about environmental chemicals, I'm not talking about chemicals in general, I'm talking about the specific chemicals that have been um, uh, implicated in uh, causing harm to humans, to animals, to the environment. So I like to start, it's a great way to start. Let's contextualize what we mean by chemical. Everything is a chemical. We're talking about harmful chemicals. Not all chemicals are harmful. Many chemicals are great, are necessary. Our, our hormones that are pulsing through our, our bodies, those are chemicals. So we can't malign chemicals um, with one, you know, tar them with the, all, all with the same brush. So that's one. Second is the word toxin. So technically, when we're talking about chemicals, the word that we should be using is toxicant, as opposed to toxin, because toxin refers to something that's produced by an animal. So a venom, a bee sting, a poison, those are all considered toxins. Now, I don't generally make a distinction between that those terms, because conversationally um in the uh, news media the term toxin is generally used although in academia those top those uh terms do mean two totally different things i say the term toxin um to mean all chemicals that can have a toxic effect on humans the environment wildlife etc um So the other way to start thinking about the word toxin is most people when they hear that word will often think of um, that they have to call poison control center or they have to have a trip to the emergency room because they got exposed to a toxin and they're going to, you know, start vomiting or their hair's going to fall out or their skin's going to blister or whatever. They'll cause an immediate acute response and those types of toxins do in fact exist in the space of environmental health and environmental medicine, typically what we're talking about are not those types of acute exposures that are going to cause a immediate um, and severe or life-threatening effect, right? If you drink a bottle of bleach, that's very toxic and can kill you immediately. <laughs> what we're talking about are these low levels of exposure that are altering our Bodies, systems that are interfering with everything from brain development to gut health to hormones, um, and that they're the, the it, it can take decades for the symptoms of this exposure to manifest. So this is like a slow burn, as opposed to a sort of raging fire that might happen if somebody drinks a bottle of bleach. That would necessitate a call to poison control and would necessitate a trip to the emergency room. So we're looking at different ends of this spectrum of toxicity. So that's really helpful way for people to phrase this. So when we say toxic chemicals, we're talking about in this environmental health conversation, we're talking about this chronic exposure. So chronic, long-term, low level of exposure and how that affects us. So the third term is endocrine disruption, and your podcast is all about hormones, so that's what we're here to talk about. Um, And endocrine disrupting chemicals are chemicals that mimic or block or otherwise interfere with the production of or um, communication between our hormones. So these are chemical molecules that look almost identical to the molecules, for example, of estradiol. So we have chemicals that look almost identical, and unfortunately the body can't tell the difference between um, these, uh, say, estradiol and a synthetic estrogen or a xenoestrogen, which is a chemical that mimics estrogen or estrogen hormones in the body. And so we have, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the chemicals that we're exposed to every day are endocrine disruptors so they can block or interfere with the natural communication of uh, our hormones in our body. And our hormones are communication messengers. That's their job is to communicate and send signals. um, And we are exposed to chemicals that interfere with that communication process. And so that's what endocrine disruption uh, means. So hopefully we're all on the same page in terms of our terminology.
0: Yeah, that was a great overview and I think that's cleared a lot of things up for the listeners because we hear those terms thrown around these days, but no one has any idea what any of them mean. So I love your explanation of those as well. And it's crazy to think that something in your environment, something that you put in your skin could alter your hormones. It's just crazy to think, but um, it's the real deal and we all need to be aware of these things. And hopefully today's podcast will give us some more insight on how we can hopefully reduce our exposure avoid some of these things in our lifestyle but i think we all need to preface this by saying that we can't control everything yes. um we can't be afraid of everything and live in a bubble that's just not going to happen
1: and that's <laughs> and that's where i usually enter there's so look this is, the conversation is heavy there's not a lot of opportunity for jokes or puns i take them when i can this is usually where i insert my like yes we all want to live in a plastic bubble but what kind of plastic does the plastic podcast <laughs> Maybe a glass bubble maybe it's a steel <laughs> bubble like glad that you're laughing because normally these are not jokes that get laughs outside of this conversation. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a big sort of motto that I've had it, had in my business since day one is that, you know, we work to change the things that we can control. So we worry less about the ones that we can't because stress and anxiety is also toxic to the body in just a totally different way. Um, and so we have to find this balance between taking this information in knowing what to do with it, figuring out what to do with it, taking action on it, um, and and then just kind of letting go the things that are outside of our control.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Totally agree. Just do the best that you can. Um, yeah. Control what you can in your home and then um, your body's actually more resilient against the things that you're exposed to when you're out and about because we can't yeah, control absolutely. the air pollution or anything like that. So what would you say to someone who believes that our body can deal with these just fine. That's what our liver's here for. Um, the chemicals that are in the environment have all been studied and they're all safe to use and pose no risk to human health. What would your response be to that?
1: Um, so uh, that's a lot. Those are big, <laughs> new questions that I can go rant on for ages. So I'll be concise. So um, I'll start with the second question first and I'll get to the first question. So the, um, the reality is that most of the chemicals in commerce have not been adequately studied for Safety, if at all, like or at all, adequately or otherwise. Um, In the United States, there's about 84 or 86,000 ish chemicals registered for use. Globally, it's about 100 to 150,000. The vast majority of these have never been tested for safety, um, and there's generally speaking um, policies differ in different parts of the world, um, but uh, there's very little emphasis on testing for safety prior to introducing chemicals um, into the marketplace. I know the laws on that in the EU are different than in the US. Um, And when chemicals are tested for safety, they are typically tested using the framework of traditional conventional toxicology, which abides by this logic of the dose makes the poison, which basically says that, you know, um, uh, everything is a poison. It's just the dose that matters. So people who use this, this line of thinking will often make comments like, um, you know, even water is toxic if you have too much. Even salt is toxic if you have too much. It's the dose that makes the poison. And that statement is true. It's just not absolutely true. And so, um, you know, there are, in fact, Um, chemicals that the lower the dose, the more um, negative the impact is. And that's actually where uh, endocrine disrupting chemicals come into play because our bodies are actually designed to respond to very, very, very minute parts per billion, parts per trillion levels of these natural hormones in the body. And that's similar to what we're being exposed to. And that end of the dose spectrum is not being looked at by traditional toxicology and all of our regulatory decisions are based on traditional toxicology. So even when we say chemicals are tested, they're not tested for these chronic low dose exposures, which is what we're getting. So even to say that like, yes, yeah, some chemicals have been tested, they haven't been tested on real life exposures. That's not how uh, the research tends to work. And, so, um, and the assumption is that everything follows this Um, dose makes the poison so on one hand like that to that side of the question no these chemicals have not been tested for safety not been adequately tested for safety not even by a long shot Um, and yet they're freely used in commerce now here in the US we take this innocent until proven guilty approach so if companies can produce whatever garbage they want and then they'll you know wait a couple years 10 years 20 years 30 years and then people are like gee something keeps happening to me when I use this product I wonder what's up and then the company goes, well, if you think it's our fault, sue us. Well, good luck, because that's a multinational, multi-million, billion-dollar company, and you've got a few people trying to team together for a class action lawsuit. It's a recipe for failure. So um, the, in the United States, anyway, corporations rely on that sort of what they call checks and balances, um, but you know, we call the black hole of the legal system. So it's a lose-lose, win-lose situation, win for the chemical industry. So, chemicals have not been adequately tested to the question of whether or not our bodies can handle these, and you know don't we have a liver and don't we detox um, uh, every day? Anyway, the answer to that is yes and. So yes, we have a lever, liver. Yes, we have you know seven sort of channels of elimination that our bodies use every single day. Every breath that you take out is, uh, is detoxing every time you pee or poop or sweat or move your lymph fluid through your body, like that is your body doing its best to detoxify. However, we are now exposed to thousands of more chemicals than we ever have been before. And this is, this is uh, happening at a pace that's faster than our body can handle, which is why we have these chemicals that build up inside of our bodies and that cause all this damage. So we know that a lot of the chemicals that we're exposed to build up in our bodies because Globally, um, there are human biomonitoring studies run by countries all around the world that track these things. And many of the chemicals that we are exposed to are persistent, meaning they stick around. They have really long half-lives, maybe 20, 30, 40 years. So it doesn't matter how great your liver is at detoxing it. If it's going to take 30 years to break that quantity down by only half, and then we're continuously adding more in. So these toxins build up in our bodies and we just don't have the capacity to detoxify these chemicals um, to the degree that we need. I'll also add that many of the chemicals that we're exposed to actually interfere with our body's ability to detoxify. So they suppress the enzymes that are necessary in our liver to break down um, toxins. They, uh, the nutrients in our body that we need to, to, you know, you have phase one and phase two liver detoxification be working perfectly. How many people in the world right now have perfect liver function? I would wager very, very few, (laughs) right? So like all things equal. If your detox system is working amazing, you poop once or at least once a day, you are fully hydrated and you have no problem with urination, your liver is perfectly functioning, you sweat every day. Even then, you're still going to you're still exposed to chemicals that stick around in your body, and that can cause um, uh, health issues. The other thing worth noting is that there are some sort of fly by night chemicals, like the bisphenol chemicals, bisphenol A and S and F, etc. That their transit time through the body is very short, so the body can in fact metabolize these some types of chemicals, like BPA and some uh, pesticides they can be metabolized within 24 to 48 hours, but that doesn't mean that they haven't screwed things up along the way. They haven't left a trail in their wake of damage. So even though they're in and they're out, they still cause damage. So this idea that like, we don't need to do anything. Our bodies are taking care of it is not, I think that's the wrong way to approach it because um, the reality is You know, people are way, way, way sicker now than they ever used to be. And if our bodies were so great at dealing with everything, then we wouldn't be seeing the spikes in chronic disease that we do see.
0: Absolutely. And before we get on to some more of the negative impacts of these environmental toxins um, on hormones and fertility and weight metabolism, things like that, I want people to become a bit more familiar with some of these toxins where we can find them, particularly in our home, because, like we mentioned, We can't really control what goes on in restaurants, um, in airports and things. So we can really have an impact of what we can control in our house. So I want to go through some different rooms in the household. And if you can cover some of the um, things to watch out for, some simple swaps to make. Um, before we go on to um, some of the negative impacts of them. So the first place is the bathroom. I think this is, yeah. along with the kitchen, one of the, the places where a lot of these things can be found.
1: So I'm actually gonna flip this a little bit because let's uh, because I always have people start in the kitchen. And the reason why I have people start in the kitchen is it's the room in their house that they're already associating with being healthy, and with optimizing their health. So it's an easier connection for people to make. I think a lot of times people have a really hard time connecting the specific health issue that they're experiencing, whether it's a Hashimoto's or weight gain or skin issues with the things that they're using and so we want to start connecting the dots the dots for people in ways that are really easy So I always start in the kitchen. It's a room that helps people like they feel more motivated in the kitchen Because they are recognizing ah, oh, the kitchen is the healthy room or the room where I can change my health so so I always have people start there and um, The first place that I always encourage people to start is by looking at their food um, Because it's you're you're eating multiple times a day and every time that you eat is an opportunity to either expose yourself to pesticides or not. Um, and uh, so the goal here is to start emphasizing, um, organic food as much as possible. Uh, like I said, a moment ago, there are pesticides, many pesticides, in fact, that actually can, um, uh, be excreted very quickly in the body. And so there's been a number of studies that have, uh, intervention studies that have looked at what happens when someone, for example, or when people um, go from a conventional diet to a mostly organic diet um, and measuring the metabolites of pesticides in their urine. And these studies have found that you can drop your circulating pesticide levels by 80 to 90% in three to five days. So like, let's do that. We can do that. Yeah, so really impressive. Um, For people in uh, the um, EU, that's even more important because organophosphate pesticides are a bigger problem in the EU than they are in the U.S. because they're not as heavily regulated. So exposure to organophosphate pesticides contributes a larger portion to the ill health in the EU than it does here in the U.S., so that's like probably the only area yeah. in which the tables are flipped, and the U.S. actually has better regulation than in um, the EU, which is quite shocking. Um, Interesting. Yeah, didn't yeah. know that. At all yeah. um, you have like the GMO
0: everything though, so maybe that's the that's the benefit of um, the EU in that regard. But yeah, it's shocking. I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, so I always encourage people to start with organic food um, because it, you know, a lot of the chemicals that we're exposed to in they their pass in these pesticides, um, you know, they are neurotoxic, they're developmental toxins, they're endocrine disrupting, they're carcinogens, they're reproductive toxins. So like they can, They don't have just one effect the same chemical can have dozens of effects and the same chemical exposures can manifest in different symptoms in different people depending on where their sort of genetic weak link is or you know what's happening in in their lives so number one is always going to be organic food from there it's really looking at plastics in the kitchen uh, plastics and food packaging so plastics leach compounds that mimic estrogen kind of doesn't matter what type of plastic some are worse than others Um, I don't really think there's any safe plastic, but there are safer plastics. Um, But I really just to make it easy for people so that they're not going like, well, what type of plastic is this? And what type of plastic is that? Like, In terms of where it comes into contact with food, let's work towards eliminating those exposures and swapping those materials for glass or stainless steel in all places possible. uh, so I think that's a, a great next step is looking at plastics. Um, you know, and I, I I like to tell people like, you know, plastic itself isn't like the devil. Like, yes, okay, it's terrible and it's polluting our oceans. We're never going to get away from it fully. And so we don't want to be plastic phobic. I have a lot of clients that are like freaking out about like, you know, these inconsequential, the door handle on my car is plastic. Should I be concerned? No. So, like, we want to make sure that we're not being plastic-phobic and afraid of plastic, but we don't want it in contact with our food, Um, and that goes especially true if that food is, um, that either is in contact with the plastic um, now or was during the packaging or manufacturing process, um, food that is hot, oily, acidic, uh, because those things increase the rate at which these chemicals leach and migrate out into the food that you're eating. Um, so for example, you know, even in the health space, we, um, sing the praises of fermented foods and we're like, yeah, eat your sauerkraut, but a lot of sauerkraut comes packaged in plastic and sauerkraut's highly acidic. So I don't actually encourage anybody to eat sauerkraut packaged in plastic. If you can find it in glass, great. Buy the one that's in glass. Um, so, one is organic, two is plastic, three is food packaging. So, that means limiting canned foods and even boxed and packaged foods um, because these uh, food packaging materials often are leaching chemicals like bisphenol A, bisphenol S, bisphenol F, um, or they're um, uh, leaching uh, perfluorinated compounds that are used in cardboard or paper packaging that perf- uh, affords that product, some grease resistance or water resistance. So for example, even like takeout pizza boxes or frozen food boxes, those uh, cardboard is all coated in these PFAS chemicals and they can migrate into your food. So, you know, healthy, fresh, organic food, pastured meats, um, you know, there's, we can go spend hours on each one of these little categories, but that's sort of like the broad overview. Um, Now, I generally tend to prioritize the steps that I I recommend people take in order of ease. Like what are the easiest things? What are the lowest hanging fruits that people can change and change quickly without a lot of resistance? Um, Because this topic is overwhelming. And if people have simple step-by-step, like, you know what? I can do that. I can go this weekend and clear out that drawer with 1,000 Tupperware containers that have no lids that, you know, is like that insane chaos drawer that everyone has. Uh, Maybe I'll go out and buy all new containers. That feels doable and it's not super expensive. In the realm of the kitchen, even though water contamination is a big deal and water filtration is important, unless people have the resources to go out and buy a water filter, an appropriate water filter, which can be a couple of hundred dollars, it's not always the first thing that I recommend because it can be disheartening for somebody to, to say, hey, we're gonna go down on this journey together of cleaning up your house, and the first thing you're gonna do is shell out 400 bucks. So I wanna make sure that the steps that I'm recommending are, are realistic for people. So yes, water filtration is super critical, um, and it might not be the first thing that somebody tackles because it's expensive or can be expensive but properly filtering your water is definitely on that short list. Um, then we can bounce back to the ba- uh, to the bathroom and looking at all those personal care products is where tend to kind of move to next because you know these are products that have dozens and dozens of uh, ingredients, not all of them are bad. Uh, many of them contain endocrine disrupting chemicals in the fragrances that um, are included in those products that contain phthalates, there's parabens, there's other preservatives and other chemicals that act as allergens, or sensitizers, and we are putting these things on our skin all day, every day. And while we don't absorb all chemicals, um, I definitely see, just saw it again last night, Somebody posting about every, you know, chemicals enter our skin, enter our bloodstream in 26 seconds. That's not true. That's a ridiculous statement. Some chemicals maybe, but absolutely not all chemicals blanket statements like that make me crazy because it's Mm -hmm. just not true. But we do absorb a lot of the things that we put on our skin and they make them, uh, they go right into our bloodstream where they can go roll around through our bodies and cause all kinds of problems Um, Our skin is our largest organ. Um, It is one of our organs of detoxification. And so we want to be really mindful about the products that we're using. So looking at our shampoos, our body lotions, our soap, our makeup, our deodorants, shaving creams, any of the products that we're using in the bathroom. um, I I think I have a hunch that this number is different now, but the Environmental Working Group, this was a bunch of years ago. I don't know, maybe 2000 eight, 2010, somewhere around there, uh, maybe even earlier than that, um, did a survey asking, you know, women about the personal care products that they use. And at the time they found that the average woman uses 12 personal care products every day before she leaves the house. um, And that within those 12 personal care products, there's, you know, something like 168 chemicals that she's exposed to. Not all of those chemicals are bad, um, but that's before she even leaves the bathroom, like in the morning let alone the rest of her day. And so, you know, I think that it's really important for us to look at these everyday behaviors around these products and really start looking towards finding safer alternatives. Uh, That used to be really hard. Um, There were very few brands that were available um, uh, in the marketplace. That has changed dramatically over the last decade. So now there are dozens and dozens and dozens of brands. I used to be able to I used to know them all, like, oh, yeah, here are the ones that you have to choose from, and there's not many, and now I can't keep up, and there's new products coming out. Literally every, you know, few weeks, I hear about some other new product. Um, some client of mine messaged me yesterday and said, hey, I went in this different direction, and I just started producing this, you know, organic, wild-crafted skincare line. I'm like, great, another one, amazing, love this. Um, in fact, it's the fastest-growing um, sector of the beauty industry is natural, organic skincare. So, um that's great news mm. um, how,
0: does, how does someone know what's really clean and non-toxic because there's a lot of like green washing um, yes. similar to like the food industry it's claimed it's healthy it must be healthy because it's gluten-free it's organic but how does someone know if it actually is good for them or not
1: um unfortunately they usually have to do a little bit of research um because you know just like you said there's there's a lot of uh green washing in the beauty space um You know, in the U.S., uh, the term organic is not regulated as it pertains to beauty care products. So unless the product contains actual certified organic ingredients that are food grade ingredients, um, you know, they can call their company. I mean, there was a shampoo line called Organics that was like had nothing organic about them at all. And people were like, I buy this organic shampoo. And I'm like, no, you don't. That's garbage. Um, and so there's a lot of greenwashing. So one, you know, that we have to just be educated consumers, period, end of story, and there are a couple of tools and resources that are available online that kind of help cut through um, some of that noise, uh, and they sort of curate collections of products Um, you know, the environmental working group here in the States has their skin deep database. It's not a perfect database. It's not a perfect resources resource. There's a lot of problems with it. And it's also a singular place where you can go and get a ballpark of whether or not (coughs) a specific product, (coughs) excuse me, is, um, kind of on the good spectrum or the bad side of the spectrum. Um, and uh, there's also uh, companies like the detox market here. These are all US-based ones, so I don't know if there's equivalents in the UK. Um, but the detox market is, uh, uh, there's Folane, um, There's another one. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But these are companies that curate um, really clean, non-toxic products that are free of the sort of the worst offenders um, that uh, uh, the conventional sort of products in the marketplace have. Um, you know, there are a couple of brands. I mean, I was just listening to a podcast um, uh, this morning, on um, an NPR podcast um, on, called How I Made This, um, which is an entrepreneur podcast. I was interviewing the founders of EO products, essential oil products brand. And the founder of that company got her start working at Neal's Yard Remedies in London, which has been around for decades. And that's a company that I don't know what their ingredients are like now. I think they're still really clean. Um, You know, that's sort of like this homespun UK brand that was way ahead of its time in terms of producing these products that were made with natural um, plant-based essential oils really clean quality ingredients and so you know the number of the point is that the number of brands has completely exploded and there are resources out out there for people um, to kind of help cut through the chase the other thing is you know i really so that we don't become obsessed and neurotic and freaking out about every single ingredient I do really believe that there is this sort of spectrum of good, better, best. And sometimes the best stuff is hard to find or it's really expensive. And, you know, of course, ideally everybody's buying best products, but I have to recognize that people have to go through this sort of journey of transitioning. And sometimes we're so attached to those really strong synthetic fragrances that like, we're like, ew, it doesn't, smell smells gross because we're sort of our 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 palate, is obsessed with these super saturated synthetic fragrances, and that maybe the first step is just finding a product that's a little bit better. Not everybody can afford to jump to bass, so again, I want to make sure that we have realistic options for people mm-hmm. um, here, but yeah, though, I mean, again, just getting educated. You know, I have a small collection of curated products on my website, um, it pales in comparison to what. Uh, companies like the detox market have because that is all that they do um, is curate these uh these products so that people have a singular place to go to shop for personal care products that they know have been vetted and every ingredient has been vetted Um, the last thing i'll point i'll make on this is i really encourage people to buy from and support companies that are all in on non-toxic as opposed to you know the big Unilever or Johnson & Johnson or SC Johnson these big multinational companies that are jumping on this natural bandwagon by producing you know these pseudo green like it says it's natural on it um, those types of products I encourage people to stay away from those because that's really where we see a ton of the greenwashing happening in um, uh, is with those bigger companies that are trying to get their piece of this growing pie of this sector of the market.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anything like the detox market here in the UK, not that I know of. But um, I'll definitely provide some of my favourite brands in the UK. Neil's Yard is one of them. Uh, right. They do Love have that. some good ingredients. Um, also, if you go on like Whole Foods website or Planet Organic in the UK. Um, or the Natural Dispensary, there's some good brands on there that are all pretty clean and non-toxic but again, you may need to dig a little bit deeper into some of the ingredients using the Environmental Working Group's database as well Um, One thing that I do want to pick your brains on, um, being like a hormone enthusiast that I am is sanitary products, so for women using tampons or pads is it really necessary to spend that extra few pounds on buying organic cotton? Or if we um, dissolve yeah. it in like a couple of hours,
1: is it really harmful to our health? Um, so the real answer to that is we don't know. Um, we actually don't know. But what we do know is that um, you know that vaginal skin is extremely thin and delicate, and it has incredibly high absorbency. And that we also know that the conventional uh, tampons and, and sanitary products have, um, you know, sometimes they even have added fragrances. They have, you know, added colors, added fragrances. They have um, contaminants, meaning these are not ingredients, but they're contaminants in the manufacturing process um, of chemicals like dioxins, which are uh, highly carcinogenic Um There might be pesticide residues. So, you know, no, okay, maybe a single tampon is only in for a few hours, but how many tampons are women using over their entire lives? Many, many, many thousands of them. And so we, I think it is important. And, you know, I'm definitely of the mind where if a simple alternative product exists, um, even in light of the fact that we don't have concrete evidence that, yes, using tampons is a, you know, direct, source of exposure to these chemicals that we know without a doubt is linked to X and Y disease. Like I'm not interested in taking that risk. If no other options were available, then maybe I wouldn't worry about it so much because there were no other options, but there are, and they're really not that much more expensive. Alternately, people can invest in, in a silicone cup. Um, you know, and then, you know, it's a little bit more money up front. It's not even that much more and it will last you for years and years and years if you take care of it. Um, and there's no waste. And it's and it's absolutely saves money in the long run. And these silicone cups, um, you know, our silicone, generally speaking, is an inert substance. A um, few exceptions to that, I think, in the vaginal env- ecosystem environment where it's being placed. Um, it's a very low-risk product that is ultra, ultra convenient. It. i wish they were around a lot longer ago um but you know i think that um I, th- I do think it's important that the products that we're using um in this area are as clean as possible um and i think that you know again why risk it if we have information um that tells us that these chemicals that are found in here are harmful and why risk it if we have an alternative yeah I personally
0: i love my menstrual cup like you say it saves money um, it's better oh, than the it planet. Is. It's easier to use. Um, if you can use it, so I know some people can't get yes. used to it or have issues with it. But if you can, um, definitely try one out because yeah, it's a life ch- a game changer for me. Oh, totally. I'll not go back.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh no, never, never. Yeah, I mean, I've used one for probably four years now, and I was again like, I was like, wish I found out about these sooner, because um, they're just amazing. So. Yeah, I agree. So moving
0: on to the bedroom. Yes. What about things like air purifiers? Because we've heard that we spend the majority of our life asleep in our bedrooms. Um, yeah. The place where we're like detoxing and spending like eight, hopefully eight hours a night in that room. Yes. So is air quality a factor in our bedroom?
1: I mean, yes, air quality is also a factor everywhere. Um, And I know, uh, um, at least in in the UK now, I know that the air pollution, at least down around London, is really terrible. Right now, the air quality is very, very bad. Um, And, uh, you know, it literally shortens your life expectancy, very literally, and contributes to a massive array of chronic illnesses. So air quality is always really important, no matter what room you're in, but definitely in the bedroom. And I think most people who have air purifiers tend to use them in the bedroom because, Just like you said, you know, our sleep is where we, it's the room that we spend the most of our time in and that sleep is restorative or should be. So I think air purifiers are important. Um, in order for an air purifier to be effective, uh, it really needs to have, um, two basic components. It needs to have, um, a HEPA filter, which is going to, um, uh, trap particulate matter. So this is the particulate matter that we hear about PM 2.5 and the news from air pollution and industrial pollution um, uh, and any other sort of allergens, pollen, things like that. So a, a HEPA filter will um, serve as a physical barrier to physical um, contaminants in the air. That part is necessary. The other part that's necessary is an activated charcoal component um, that is um, plentiful meaning there needs to be a large volume of activated charcoal in the filter for it to really really truly be effective um, and the activated charcoal filter is going to um, uh, capture things like VOCs, so volatile organic compounds that are off-gassing from the materials in our home that are harder for us to change that are still sources of exposures. So, you know, chemicals that might be off from our mattresses, from our carpeting, from our furniture, from the actual floors and walls itself. Um, so, it's a great idea to have um, a good quality air filter um, to, to capture both of those. There are definitely air filters on the market that have these you know, really flimsy sheets of activated charcoal that they're like better than nothing. Um, I refer to those as kind of like the Brita water filter of water filtration, like it's better than nothing. It's not that great. And so it's recommended that the activated carbon portion of the filter be very plentiful. So like, you know, at least a pound or two pounds, um, depending on the the type of device um, or the style of the filter um, should have a large quantity of uh, charcoal. So yeah, I mean, I absolutely getting an air filter um, is a great investment. They're not inexpensive. So, um, it is an investment but you know our health is important and our life is long or it should be and so I think it's an investment worth making.
0: And are there any brands that you recommend for air filters and water filters I know that they may be a yeah. little bit different in the US to the UK but just as a general overview.
1: Yeah, so for air filters, I really like Austin Air and IQ Air. Um, for water filters, you know, it's a, it, there's not a single brand I recommend. There's brands that I like, but the reality is that everybody's water is different, and there is no one perfect water filter for everyone. So I'm never you're never going to hear me say yes. Everybody go out and get a Berkey, or everyone go out and get a Pure Effect filter. There's dozens and dozens of variables that can determine whether a single filter is right for somebody's specific situation. If you live in the countryside, you probably have more pesticides. If you live in an urban environment, you probably have more industrial chemicals. Many water filters have multiple stages and that's because there's no one single filter media that can handle everything. And so you have to match the stages and say, well, I don't need this stage because I don't have those chemicals, but I do have these chemicals. So that means I need to guide this, this other stage. And so you really have to cobble together um, or at least make sure that the filter that you're buying is a match for the contaminants that you have. So that means before you even go out and buy a filter, you have to research what's in your water and or get your water tested so that you actually know what you're dealing with. And instead of going and being like, Oh, so-and-so says there's a great, Oh, I use this water filter. It's great. My water tastes great. Good tasting water is not a indication of um, necessarily contaminant free water. Um, so those types of recommendations are meaningless. They're just meaningless. Um, and so there's not a single brand. There's lots of options for people, provided that they're the right fit. So, for example, I used to <laughs> I used to live in New York City in like this 500 square foot apartment that had the tiniest kitchen you could ever possibly imagine. and you know, a Berkey water filter, which are these gravity fed big stainless steel countertop um, uh, water filters, which are great for drinking water. They're not really convenient for cooking or anything else. Um, I would not have had any room in my teeny tiny kitchen for that water filter. So again, it's a great filter provided the circumstances are right. So there's not a single brand for water filters. I, you know, I have a, a maybe half a dozen different brands that I'm like, you know, these are good. Um, and again, even a, even a, a sort of Widely commercial brand. I don't know what the sort of big water filtration companies are in the UK, but here we have, you know, like Pelican and, um, you know, Culligan water filters. And these are just sort of like the big brands, these sort of aggressive salespeople. But those types of filters might be perfectly fine for someone's situation. They may not need to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, if their water's not that bad, so why spend the money on like these big guns that you don't need? So it is a very personalized process.
0: Yeah. Do your research and yes. choose one that's right for you. Yeah. That's good advice. Yes. And back into like the bedroom. Um, yeah. what about electronic devices in the bedroom? Should we completely get rid of everything? Our TV, our phones, our alarm clocks, because we hear yes. yeah, the dangers Ideally, of yes. EMF and all of these things. What are your yeah. thoughts on that?
1: yeah i mean i think first of all that like we we are meant to sleep in total darkness so that sort of ambient light that's coming from all of these little lights on all of our electronics um can in fact uh uh disrupt our sleep and as we were saying earlier sleep is really important for immune system building for detoxification for literally everything um all the things and if you're not sleeping that's a real problem um and You know, there is also concern about EMF exposures um, in the bedroom that interfere with hormone production, that interfere with sleep. Um, Definitely no TVs in the room, no devices in the room. Um, These are all things that, you know, the average person kind of scoffs at like, what? You mean I can't fall asleep scrolling my iPhone on Facebook or on Instagram? Like, no, it's actually really bad for you. Um, psychologically, as well, as well as physiologically, because the light that's coming from those devices actually suppresses uh, melatonin, which is our hormone that helps us go to sleep and fall asleep. Um, and and uh, so, you know, yes, I really do think that sleeping in a cool, dark room with as little amount of electric interference as possible um, is ideal. You know, there's a people who... Um, I, you know, I'm an outdoors person, I love going camping, and you know, a couple of nights of sleeping outside in nature really resets your clock, because that's really how we were supposed to sleep, um, is that way. Obviously not like in a tent on the ground necessarily, but um, I think it's just really good for our health to sort of help reset our circadian rhythm to the natural cycle um, and all of those lights and devices really snap us out of that and can in fact just totally jack your hormones. Mm-hmm. All that blue light is terrible. Yeah. The affects us in multiple ways. Like you said, the
0: mental health, the blue lights, the EMF exposure, electronic yeah, radiation. Simple
1: things like turning the red light filter on your phone is just a, like, I, you know, I just have this set as a shortcut so I can turn it on and off pretty quickly. Um, but like, you know, I never, this goes on at sun, you know, sundown. So like in case I do ever have to look at my phone, um, you know, I'm not, at least at the very least, I'm not getting bombarded with that blue light. Yeah. All the sexy orange glasses like I have. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I have mine somewhere. Got else? Have mine. Yeah, they're not. Looking,
0: no. They're it has, has to be all. done though. Things to yes. really do for health. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. And I saw one of your recent posts on Instagram mentioning that cancer was 90 to 95% driven by environmental factors. And for some people, that's like shocking. They think that a lot of cancer and maybe Alzheimer's and things are genetic. Um, So that statement is that 90 to 95% of these things are environmental exposures or factors, whereas only 5 to 10% is genetic. Can you just yeah. talk a bit more about that and the power of epigenetics?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think that, um, it, it, that statistic is very shocking for people. I even had some people commenting and they're like, that's not real. Like, where's this statistic? I'm like, well, just Google it because it's like very well established that that's the, that's the percentage um, split. And so, you know, I think we see a lot of people that have a genetic predisposition um, to cancers. They have maybe the BRCA gene or whatever for breast cancer. Um, but our genetics are not our destiny. They're just not. And so we have our DNA, which is fixed. We have our epigenetics. So our DNA is our genetics. It's what we inherit from our parents. And then we have our epigenetics, which is, means above the genetics. Um, and a good way to think about it is that your DNA is like the hardware on your computer. It's your actual computer that you get. It doesn't change for the most part, um, but the epigenetics is the software that tells that computer what to do and your software is, is changeable. And so our epigenetics um, is changeable, it's malleable and what we, how we live our lives and what we experience and our stresses and our traumas and our lifestyle choices and our food, our relationships, all of these things affect our epigenome and can turn on or turn off the genes that we actually have to either have them express or not express. So uh, that post on cancer very closely ties to a previous post I'd done the week before. That's like uh, your genetics loads the gun and your environment pulls the trigger and that, you know, you may be predisposed to a certain condition, whether it's cancer or diabetes or something else, but how you choose to live your life can, heavily influence whether or not those genes actually get expressed and i share that with people because it's incredibly empowering to know that like we have control to a very high degree over over our health and over the expression of our genes and that you know epigenetics helps explain at least to some degree why you know two people can um be cigarette smokers for their whole life and one never has a health problem and the other one is, you know, emphysema, lung cancer, etc. And, you know, it's just where is that genetic weak link for people and what other things are those people doing in their lives to maybe mediate some of those exposures. So epigenetics is really, really powerful. Uh, Back to the cancer post, you know, we know that, like I said, in the post five to 10% of cancers are attributed to this genetic factor. But 90 to 95% are are attributed to um, external factors, so environmental factors that includes things like smoking, alcohol consumption, excessive sun exposure, your diet, your lifestyle, chemical exposures, all of these things together um, create this sort of storm of, of experiences, exposures that can actually alter our negative, alter our gene expression in a negative way, in a way that turns on the genes that we might have lurking in us for cancer or Alzheimer's or diabetes or Parkinson's or whatever it is. And so, um, you know, I think it's really important. I think that statistic is really important for people because it shows us how much of cancer is, is preventable. Like it's, most chronic illnesses are preventable, period, end of story. Like they are preventable. Um, it's just, it requires us to shift our perspective of what health is and that health is not just, you know, the, the supplement your doctor gives you or the prescription medication that your doctor gives you and go, I'm healthy. Um, I think that it's more than that. It's, it's, it's this, it's everything. It's our past traumas. I mean, there's, I don't know the specific, um, data on it, but there's a lot of research on, um. Uh, uh, ACEs, adverse childhood events. So children who have experienced adverse childhood events, whether that's, you know, the divorce of a parent, the loss of a parent, um, sexual abuse, any other kind of verbal abuse, physical abuse, trauma, that those children, as they move into adulthood, have higher risks of a lot of chronic diseases. And that would be considered an environmental factor. Um, that is contributing to disease. So it's a big and fascinating topic. Um, and, you know, we can, I mean, I think we could probably go down the rabbit mm-hmm. hole on that alone for hours. Um, but I think the the takeaway on that is that we have a lot of control. And if we exercise that control without feeling neurotic about it, if we're, you know, very, I think the goal Mindset wise, is not to say I don't want to get cancer. The goal is to say I want to optimize my health and live as healthy as possible. That's the goal. That's the goal. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, just to wrap up, I want to ask you just a few questions um, before we sign off now. So, uh, if there's one thing that someone could do right now to reduce their toxic burden, so we've gone through multiple different things that they could work on long term. What would be the one thing that you would say had the biggest impact if they did it right now?
1: I don't think there is one thing, um, because the biggest impact—the biggest impact—is going to be different for everybody. Like every person is going to have their different weak link. So if somebody has a thyroid problem, the biggest impact for them is going to be getting rid of all of the halogenated chemicals. The thyroid suppressing chemicals. If somebody else has uh, a, their biggest issue is weight gain, then the thing that's going to be the biggest needle mover for them is getting rid of those obesogens. Now, the, those are the same chemicals, by the way, many of the same chemicals that are obesogens also trash the thyroid. So it kind of doesn't matter. The biggest needle mover is doing all these things. It's avoidance. There's not one single thing. Um, and I think that's the challenge in this conversation. We can't just tell somebody, go buy a different shampoo and all your problems are going to be better. So there's not one thing. I think we do all the things, um, as, as much as we possibly can.
0: Yeah. I actually love that answer. I'm
1: glad you just didn't give one thing.
0: Um, I think that's, yeah. No,
1: there's not. There's, (laughs) that's, that would, that's, it's, I think it's, unfortunately it's like the pill for the ill. Like we want an easy answer. And unfortunately there just isn't one, there Mm -hmm. isn't one single thing.
0: Yeah, and we can't expect people to, we don't, we're not asking people to completely overhaul their life and throw out all of the the, um, kitchenware and buy fresh and buy new skincare,
1: yeah. So I tell people like, you know, if it takes you five years, great, amazing. Five years from now, you're going to be light years ahead of where you are right now. Um, It took me eight years before I replaced my mattress because it was really expensive. So it took me eight years and I was sleeping on this, you know, really shitty regular mattress that I guarantee had all kinds of chemicals on it. And, you know, it took me a while to, to swap it out because I wasn't ready financially to make that investment. So it is a process and it takes time and it's okay. However long it takes, it takes.
0: Mm-hmm. And is there anything that you're into lately? So is there anything that we've not covered? Any cool new research or just something completely non-health related that you're into lately?
1: Um, Lately, I'm really into um, refinishing um, furniture, vintage furniture. That's just mm-hmm. not to do with my work, but it's find it to be really fun. Are you using non-toxic products? Am. <laughs> I <Good> am. <laughs> they, oh, I am. <laughs> I was oh, trying
0: try to catch check. you out then.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no. They do. I hunted. I hunted and went out of my way and spent all the extra monies on. Uh, you know, really good quality wood oils that are very, very low VOC that are all natural that, you know, I walk my talk as yep. much as I can. Practicing what you preach. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and is there one non-toxic product that you couldn't live without? So is there any like appliance or skincare product that you just love?
1: Um, I think it's just not a non-toxic product per se, um, but I think the one product in this realm that I couldn't live without would be my matcha tea. Mm, yes. Um, because matcha tea is not only is it delicious, um, but it is loaded with nutrients, with antioxidants um, that actually help with the detox process that help, um, as we were talking about earlier, support um, natural detoxification. It's super rich in chlorophyll. Chlorophyll binds to metals helps excrete those out so um it's kind of like this amazing miracle beverage um i love uh, matcha so much i named my cat matcha so that is the one product that i couldn't live without and then that is the other thing that i live without, <laughs> talking about matchas. um but yes um i'd have to say matcha i'm team matcha
0: too i'm right there Excellent. with you <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've been drinking it for like, like 10, 12 years, and I don't know, um, I think it's crazy that it just kind of blew up in the in the health space um, just recently, which is really I fun, know. because it makes it a lot easier
0: for me to get it. Exactly. And finally, Lara, where can people find you online and find more about you? I'm sure they wanna follow you and you share a ton more information on this subject.
1: So yeah. um, like your Instagram, your website, yeah people can go to my website which is lauraadler.com so l-a-r-a-a-d-l-e-r.com and you can find me on uh, instagram at environmental toxins nerd i
0: love that handle as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> easy to find easy to remember yeah. thank you so much laura for your time this has been a fantastic episode again educational but not overwhelming not too scary you've definitely broke it down and made it seem not as overwhelming when it comes to um, swapping out some of these products so i really enjoyed having you on and thank you for joining me today yeah
1: thank you for having me
0: thank you for listening to another episode of the hormones in harmony podcast if you like this episode please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances as a massive thank you gift i'll send you a free guide six steps to hormonal harmony All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30 minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next steps to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.